0: It is true, there are absolutely no eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Just think about that. There are no eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Some people would disagree with that. What I mean is, there was no one inside the tomb, in the darkness, listening and observing what was going on. There are no eyewitnesses to what happened. There's no descriptive account of what actually happened. C.S. Lewis once imagined um, imagine you're inside the tomb what would you have seen? Would you have seen Jesus' eyes suddenly open and his body begin to breathe And it, it, would he stretch? Would he sit up, stand up? Would the bandages fall off? Would he walk over towards the stone and push it away and impress the guards and then You know, hide behind a bush because that's where he is when Mary comes. No. If you're inside the tomb, if, what you would have seen is the body of the Lord Jesus laid and wrapped and very still. He had died. And then suddenly, whether there was a flash of light or whether there was nothing, suddenly the body just disappeared. There was a body, there was nobody. And the weight of the spices and the oils and perfumes on the bandages would have collapsed the to the outward shape of that corpse wrapped up. There are no eyewitnesses to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Is that a problem? Well, no, not really. Because we are very used to, we're very comfortable with both historical, forensic, as well as circumstantial evidence. The police do that all the time. They gather together stuff... They might not be an eyewitness who saw something happen, but they can put the evidence together and it becomes beyond reasonable doubt. It becomes, in fact, in our courts of law, we convict people on such evidence. So what is the evidence we have then for the Lord Jesus and his resurrection? Well, two questions. Did he die? The second question, was he seen after he died? It's so on the basis of those two questions and the answers given to it, that we develop our evidence. The Apostle Paul in this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, certainly presents evidence and does so by quoting a very ancient creed, which I'll come to, as well as inserting his own personal testimony. Paul affirms twice in Corinthians. In chapter 9, verse 1, he says, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And this passage that we read, chapter 15, verse 8, The Apostle Paul says, and last of all, Jesus appeared even to me, to one who was untimely born. He does quote and give a list of very specific individuals and groups written at a time when that could easily have been verified by those people, by eyewitnesses. So let's look at this passage and let's see where that takes us on this Easter Sunday. Because the resurrection of the Lord Jesus certainly is the rock, the foundation of Christianity, of our Christian beliefs. If you disprove it, then all of Christianity crumbles. If you prove it, believe it and accept it, then you stand strong and it stands true. If you deny it, then there are devastating consequences. But for all of us who affirm it, then the results are amazing. The church in Corinth, the believers in Corinth were having several problems, and the letter is filled with Paul addressing those. And in this particular chapter, he addresses the issue of the resurrection of the body. And in verse 12, he tells us that uh, some people in the church had come to a point of saying there is no resurrection, Uh, that when you die, your spirit leaves your body and the body goes to the ground and the spirit lives on into some other state. There is no resurrection of the body, they believed. The Apostle Paul writes, to correct them and he does so by simply going right back to the gospel of where it all started and he reminds them he said verse one and two I told you the gospel I announced it I discussed it with you I preached it I declared it you heard it and received it and now you are standing firm on it if you're maintaining your walk with God and by it you are being saved if you in fact did sincerely believe it provided you continue to hold on to it firmly because the reality is paul is implying and as we know some people say they believe without giving it serious thought or without going into any depth it's a service belief an emotional belief it's not deep within them and so they are easily persuaded against it and they give up they profess faith but it's not faith that endures they Believe at the surface, but it doesn't penetrate deep within them. The Apostle Paul says, you need to apprehend the evidence, the facts, and respond to that and commit to it. And then he goes on to quote a very ancient, I'll call it a creed. Most New Testament scholars and Bible scholars these days would say the creed goes, in fact, from verse 3 down to about verse 7. That's debated and argued. Certainly it's at least 3 and 4, but it may very well go longer. Please notice the way that the text is set out. Paul says four things. That he died. That Christ died. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised. On the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared. And then it goes on to list six appearances. Paul inserting himself as the sixth. That he died. That he was buried. That he was raised. And that he appeared. That's the gist of this very ancient creed. And those who have looked at it say to us that this creed dates back to within 15, 20 years and maybe even earlier of the events of the Lord Jesus rising from the dead. Let's look at the creed. That he died for our sins and according to the scriptures. It's no surprise. Everybody dies. We're not surprised by that at all. Moses died. Abraham died. Adam and Eve died. Everybody in history dies. But this passage is not simply saying Jesus died, it's that he died for our sins and that he died according to the scriptures. That the Old Testament predicted his death. And there are lots of scriptures for it, but some of them are. The Old Testament predicts that he'll be betrayed by a friend, that he'll be crucified, that he'll have none of his bones broken. Uh, That he'll be given gall and vinegar to drink. That he'll be associated with the rich in his death. Psalm 16, Psalm 116, Isaiah 53, and numerous other passages as well. The Old Testament certainly predicted it. The Lord Jesus predicted. He told his disciples on numerous occasions that he was going to Jerusalem and that he would be betrayed and that he would die. And on the third day he would rise again from the dead. Jesus said it. And Jesus' death was witnessed. It was witnessed by the people who were gathered around the crowd at the cross. It was witnessed by the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities who were there watching. It was witnessed by his own family. Up to a certain point, Mary is there. And his aunt, Salome, is there. And so perhaps are some of his other close cousins or family friends. And certainly, he was buried by two of his disciples, Joseph and Nicodemus. The Lord Jesus died. He died for our sins and he died according to the scriptures. The creed goes on and that he was buried. It's an important part of the creed because burial means that it's emphasizing the certainty that Jesus died. There are various people these days in the 21st century and for the last several centuries who have tried to explain away the resurrection by saying Jesus didn't die. And they come up with all different sorts of theories and ideas, none of which stand up to close scrutiny. That he was buried indicates the certainty of his death and prepares the way for the reality of his resurrection. You don't bury people who are still breathing. And if they did, then he wouldn't be breathing for very much longer. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Raised, back to life. No eyewitnesses to what actually happened in the tomb, but you put two and two together, it's what happens. It's on the third day, which is a significant day in the Old Testament, it's on the third day of creation week, that the land emerges from the burial tomb, if you like, of the ancient oceans. Third day is Resurrection Day. It's Jonah who was raised out of the belly of the large fish on the third day. The Lord Jesus spoke about on the third day, and it's again it's according to the Scriptures. The Old Testament predicted this. It predicted his birth. It predicts his the date of his um, God's calendar predicts the date of his baptism. So likewise his death, his resurrection, and even his return. It's all marked out in God's calendar. Not that God has a calendar, but if he did he's got some dates circled, and these things are planned ahead of time it's Jesus' death and resurrection is according to the plan and foreknowledge of God. God is in control, just like he is in our world, still today working his purposes out. The Lord Jesus died, was buried, was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared. In 1815 at the Battle of Waterloo where Wellington is fighting Napoleon <clears throat> there was a battle and Wellington defeated Napoleon and this is before electricity and the internet and radio and everything else and the only means of communication the people of England were waiting to hear the news the results of the battle and the only means they had were by semaphore where well, you know right, waving flags and communicating a message a but like Morse code in some form, but a fog set in. And the message initially that the people got was Wellington defeated. Now the message wasn't concluded, but that was the message before the fog blocked all other visual communication. And the heart of England sank. They thought Wellington defeated. And it wasn't until the fog lifted that then the message could be concluded, and the full message was Wellington defeated the enemy. So too, on Good Friday, the Lord Jesus died. And the hearts of his people and family and friends and followers sank. They thought he was defeated, that death had won, that Satan was still ruling. But the full message was Easter Sunday, and he rose. Jesus Christ defeated the enemy the world the flesh and the devil and the proof of that is that he appeared he appeared to his disciples to his family to friends even to his foes he appeared the apostle paul takes a list this ancient creed list and says interestingly he appeared it's not an exhaustive list there are about 10 or 12 examples of jesus appearing to somebody In the New Testament, when you put it all together, the Apostle Paul has just six here. He doesn't mention the women, and that's probably because in their culture, women were not credible witnesses in a court of law for no other reason. He appeared firstly, Paul says, to Cephas, Peter. That's Peter's Aramaic name, which is why we think this is a very ancient creed. And he appeared to Cephas, uh, to Peter, the one who denied him. But Jesus also appeared then that night to the 10 and a week later to the 10 plus Thomas. So Paul tells us that he appeared to the 12. The 12 is not a number. The 12 is a title of a group. It's his 12 apostles, his 12 close disciples. The Lord Jesus appeared to them. Verse 6 tells us then he appeared to over 500 at one time. A large gathering, 500 people. In fact, over 500 people. We don't know exactly when it was, but it's possible, probable, that it's Matthew 28, where Jesus has gone to Galilee, and on the side of a mountain, there Jesus gathers together again and appears to this large mass of followers. Interestingly, Paul says, most of these people are still alive. You can check it out. You can talk to them. You can interview them, though some, he says, have fallen asleep. So by now, when Paul is writing Corinthians, which is in the 50s A.D., 20, 25 years after the resurrection, some of these folks have gone home to glory. He appeared to over 500. And then it says wonderfully, verse 7, and he appeared to James. This James is Jesus's brother, his half-brother, the eldest of all of the other siblings. And it's this James who becomes a leader of the church in Jerusalem. And it's this James who writes the letter of James that we have in our New Testament. And John tells us in John 7 verse 5 that when Jesus was alive and ministering, his brothers, his family, did not believe in him. They mocked him and made fun of him and thought he was abandoning family responsibilities. But something changed. It's the resurrection. Jesus appeared to James. And James becomes a follower. And then verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, And then he appeared to all of the Apostles. When Paul says that, he's not talking about the 12 Apostles. He's talking about all of the Apostles. The 70 that Jesus sent out, two by two, if you remember that story. It's the Barnabas and the Matthias and the Nathaniels and the others who are just not alluded to much in the New Testament. But all of the Apostles encountered the Lord Jesus and then I just think it's wonderful. The Apostle Paul says, and last of all to one born out of time he appeared to me. And the Apostle Paul, you remember was a foe. He was opposed to Jesus. He was actively persecuting and putting to death many of the Christians. And Jesus appears to him. It's not the only thing that happened but it's the end of the conversion process for Paul and it dramatically changed. Who are you and what do you want me to do? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting and I want you to serve me. And Paul's life is changed dramatically in that encounter. And he writes and lives as a changed person. The Lord Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, he was buried. He rose again on the third day according to the scriptures and he appeared. And he appeared to many. And ultimately, he has appeared to us. I would add my testimony to the Apostle Paul. I believe in the Lord Jesus because I've encountered him. I trust you can say the same thing, that you believe in the Lord Jesus, because you've encountered the reality of his person and present. If Jesus did rise from the dead, and we're saying the evidence indicates that he does, then what follows? Well, there's a long list of things. Let me just work my way through it. It means that Jesus can be trusted. He said that he was going to go to Jerusalem, that he would be betrayed, that he would die. And on the third day, he would rise again from the dead. And he did. What Jesus says, you can rely on. And you can accept and embrace his promises. He can be trusted. Number two. The resurrection of Jesus means there is a life after this life. and That this life is not all there is and that death is not the end. That there is another life awaiting us. And that if we believe in him, then we go to enjoy that life. If we don't believe in him, well, there are consequences. And I'll talk about that in a moment. Number three, because Jesus rose, we can be forgiven. We can be set free from all of our sin and all of our entanglements if we believe in him and receive him and we so-so with our mouth we can be forgiven we can have a new start in life and a new life to start with number four because Jesus rose from the dead he's the first fruits of those who rise from the dead we will all rise some to enjoy life with him others to face judgment and condemnation because he is the judge of all because he rose and had a new body we get new bodies like him when we rise we all see god we all see the angels and we'll be with one another there will be this wonderful reunion because he rose and he ascended on high and he's now ruling from the right hand side of god the father one day he will return and when he returns then he takes us to be with him Forever. Jesus will rule until number eight. He destroys all dominions and authorities and death itself. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. There'll be new laws of physics. It'll be a brand new universe that he invites us to be part of and to rule and reign with him. And finally, because Jesus rose, we are witnesses of God and for him. He has commissioned us to tell others, to tell them the good news, that God cares about us, that God loves us, that God has done everything possible to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can be made right with him. God has done everything, and he now awaits our response to believe, to receive, and to confess and say so. Let's do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that Jesus rose, that he lives, and that he lives forever, and that one day he will return. Thank you that we know him as our Lord and as our Saviour, and that in him is found all of our hope um, and our future of a great and glad reunion. His resurrection proves that your word is true. And that it can be relied on. And our salvation is complete in Him. And that heaven is simply waiting for you to complete your divine plan and to take us to be with yourself forever. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would move in all of our hearts to believe and hope and to worship. May you call today many to believe and receive Jesus as their Lord and King. Heavenly Father, call many today around the world on this resurrection day, call them, cause them to pass from spiritual death into spiritual life for the honour and glory of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.